What's up, everyone? Hello. Welcome back to another episode of the New Evangelicals Podcast. I am Tim. On this episode of the podcast, we're talking about sex, we're talking about orgasms, and everything else that Christian culture says we shouldn't talk about, because I have author Sheila Gregoire on. Now, Sheila is the author of the book, The Great Sex Rescue which has seemed to have taken off and really resonated with a lot of, uh, of her readers. So I'm excited for this one because Sheila is very direct and blunt, and she talks about sex in a non-taboo way, which I appreciate. I think as Christians, we have to be okay with just talking about the reality that sex is a thing that humans do. But Sheila was more interested in specifically how Christian culture um, and their explanation of sex and what it is affects mainly women. In fact, Sheila and her team have completed the largest national survey on sex. And so we talked a lot about that, a lot about her book, um, and all kinds of other things as well related to purity culture and patriarchy, um, pornography, and so on and so forth. So I'm excited for you guys to hear this one. And I, um, I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. I really enjoyed the time I had with Sheila. That being said, of course, friends, I want to say a couple quick announcements. Number one, we are officially at 20,000 plus downloads, which is huge, which is awesome. Thank you sincerely to everyone who has downloaded or shared or subscribed or liked or whatever, downloaded the podcast. I really appreciate it. If you can help us out by continuing to share episodes that you like, by promoting what we're doing, by giving us reviews on podcasts or on, on Apple podcasts and giving us a like and subscribe on YouTube, that would be such a huge help. Again, to all of you who have already done that, a sincere thank you. This podcast is just getting warmed up and I'm so excited to keep doing it and to bring you guys great content. That being said, I do need some community help on something. I'm always looking to know what you like about the podcast, what you want more of. So if you have any feedback for us and also any guests that you want to see on the show, do me a favor, email the new evangelicals at gmail.com. I would love to know what you like, what you don't like so much, what you want more of, and of course, what guests you want to hear uh, hear from. So that would be great. Lastly, of course, thank you to all of our donors who help make this possible. We do our best to keep things as free as possible. I am experimenting with, with some ads potentially for the podcast. I'm just seeing how that kind of works out. But as far as putting things behind a paywall, we do not have any plans of ever doing that. And the reason why is because we don't want to withhold um, information or help from anyone, especially behind a financial paywall. So our donors help make that possible. They help cover our Zoom costs, our website, you know, all of our graphic design stuff, um, and, and also my time as well. So if you're interested in helping us out, you can donate by clicking on the link, uh, link in the show notes or on YouTube. Okay, friends, I think that's all I have for you. I hope you enjoy this episode with Sheila Gregoire. Sheila, you're back again. This is... Well, we, we, we did an Instagram live. Was it two months ago now? I don't know how long it was. And I know it was in two parts because the first part failed. Yeah. I think we, you guys were, you and your daughter were on and you were yes. riffing and then someone's internet went out. I'll, I'll just say it was mine knowing, my, <laughs> you know, knowing my, my provider. Um, and then we, we got you back on. It was great. It was awesome. And then I think, um, you or your booking person reached out and said, yo, let's do a podcast. I said, that's wonderful. And now here we are, we're doing a podcast together. Yay! So it's great yes. to have you back on. How have you been since, since, you know, our, our, our last talk, anything new in your life? Oh, we've just been having fun stirring the pot and 
and getting great reviews for the book. The book's still doing really well. People like it that are normal people and pastors and people who are part of the Christian establishment. Actually, that's not, that's not fair to say a lot of pastors have really appreciated it and I'm really grateful that they do, but. Well, let's talk about that. So you wrote a book called the great sex Mm -hmm. rescue for, for the listeners out there who maybe haven't heard of it yet or who haven't read it yet. Give us like the overview. What, why did you want to write it? And what is the book aiming to do? Okay, so there's a story. I hope you like stories. You like stories. Everyone likes stories. Okay, (laughs) so I've been writing about sex and marriage since like 2008. I started blogging, didn't really know what I was doing. I was in that mommy blog space that everybody was in back (laughs) then. Sure, sure. You know, writing parenting housework stuff. And every time I wrote about sex, my traffic went up. And so (laughs) I started writing more about sex. And then my agent in 2012 um, said he could probably sell a sex book for me, but nothing else because only sex would sell. So I wrote The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. I wrote 31 Days to Great Sex. I created an orgasm course and a libido course, and I'm like all sex all the time. Wow. But in the middle of all that, I'm giving all this advice, but I had never actually read any other Christian marriage books. So I'm writing all these books and doing all this content creation, but I'd never actually read anyone else's stuff because I was afraid of plagiarizing. Now, are are you in the Christian space at this time, like doing these I books for a Christian audience? Am. Yes. Oh, that's so Very taboo. Much. I mean, writing I a book about how to orgasm better and then selling it to <laughs> church people, that, that doesn't <laughs> well, add that up for me. Well, that was a course. That was a course. It wasn't okay. a book. Okay. Although 31 Days to Great Sex is a book. It does have a lot about orgasming. So, you know, like we're just, that's what we do, right? Sure. Um, and and I'm, I I was speaking all around North America. I have a, a girl talk event I do at churches on sex, and so I'm I'm in this space, okay. okay. And like okay. I'm I'm in this space. I like this space. I I feel like I'm doing a good job. And but I'd never actually read any Christian marriage or sex books. And then it was January 2019. It was a Friday afternoon. I had a migraine. I didn't want to work, and. I was on Twitter instead, and there was this debate going on. This woman was saying, well, I need respect, not just love. And I thought, well, yeah, I need respect too. But they were talking about the book Love and Respect by Emerson Egridge, which is the second best-selling marriage book in the Christian space. Okay. And it says that men need respect, but women need love. And I was like, you know, I've never actually read that. And so a great way to procrastinate would be to go get it off my shelf and read it. So I got it. And of course, I don't actually read the whole thing. I just turn into the sex chapter because that's all I really care about. <laughs> right. And in the sex chapter, I will summarize it. Okay. All right, go ahead. If your husband is typical, he has a need that you don't have. You should administer to him sexually as unto Jesus Christ. Oh, that's weird. Your husband has a need for physical release through sex, just as you have a need for emotional release, whatever that is. I don't know okay. what that is. Like I picture Sandra Bullock in the proposal, you know, where she's in the woods with Betty White. Like that's all. Yes. I can think of well, my wife just made me watch that movie for the first time. And now I have a reference. I know exactly what you're talking about. So yes, you haven't seen the proposal until I mean, just now. Listen, I was homeschooled. Like I, it just it over my head, you know, I don't know. It's one of those I'm things. Years, I'm a hundred years old. Congratulations. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so. So anyway, so a husband needs physical release. She needs emotional release. Um, why wouldn't you do something which takes such a short amount of time and makes him so happy? He'll come under satanic attack if he doesn't get physical release. And most affairs are caused by women not having enough sex. Wow. Plus, you can't say no. 
And I'm reading this and I'm like, holy cow, like this is not okay. There's nothing on a single word about a woman feeling any pleasure. There's not like nothing. It's just, you need to do this because he needs release. Like sex is literally release. Right. And so I called my team, I'm FaceTiming them. I'm reading them sentences as I'm freaking out, reading this thing. And we did it. We did a week long series on love and respect. We got all kinds of stories of women who said that book enabled abuse in my marriage. And mm. cause it's really problematic outside of the sex issues. So we wrote a report for focus on the family, which I thought they'd listen to. I've been on focus on the family three times. Like, okay. I know Daly, like I'm, you, have, you, know. You, have, you have some street cred going on here. They know you. Yeah. They've since taken down all my, all my shows, but anyway. oh, no, of course. so I'm like, oh, so they'll listen to me. So we made this really, really good report, like very scientific. A person on my team is an epidemiologist. She created a qualitative analysis and a mixed methods analysis breakdown of all our comments and, and they ignored us. And so we thought, well, they can ignore hundreds of women, but can they ignore thousands? Mm. So we decided we would do the largest survey of Christian women that has ever been done. And we will figure out what evangelical teachings are wrecking sex for women. And that's what the Great Sex Rescue is. It's based on our survey of 20,000 women, plus a review of the best-selling Christian sex and marriage books to see what they actually say. Okay, so you do this massive survey, 20,000 women, right, who are Christian. I'm assuming that means that it's automatically interdenominational. What were, yes. what were like, your parameters for Christian? Like, are we talking, like, Catholics as well, more mm -hmm. just Protestant? Like, Well, you could—any woman who was married could take it. It— we okay. had, I think out of the 20,000, like 18,000 were Christian because we were heavily promoting it in Christian spaces, Mixed bit. but yeah, we weren't saying you had to be Christian to take it because we kind of wanted to be able to, to look at differences as well. Sure. So, sure. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so, I mean, what did you find? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, like what, what are some of the smoking gun points of like, this is crazy. Yeah. So there's four big teachings that we identified that really wreck sex. I mean, there's other ones, but there were four big ones that we looked at, but there's an overarching one of all of them that okay. sort of binds everything together. Like the one ring, you know, to yes, bind, yes. rule them all. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> so the one ring to rule them all that binds everything together is this idea that sex is primarily for men, that sex is something men need and women don't. Hmm. Okay. And even in the way we define sex, I think I talked about this on our Instagram live. Like, um, you know, if I said to you, did you have sex last night? Right. What you're picturing me asking yep. is, did you put your penis inside her and move around till you climaxed? That's right. Yeah. Because we, when we say sex, we mean intercourse. Right. And the problem with that is that she could be lying there making a grocery list in her head you know, totally not engaged. She could be in emotional mm. turmoil or she could even be in physical pain and it would still count as having sex. Right, right. And that's not, that's not okay. Like mm. our definition of sex completely leaves her experience out of the equation. Hmm. Yes. Okay. So you find this, you know, one ring to rule them all. And then you write a book about it, <laughs> right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, what are some of your... Uh, well, I, I would have to imagine that this issue has to be linked to purity culture in a lot of ways. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I would imagine it has to be linked to a lot of, you know, like, like you said, you, you discovered a lot of women in church saying, 
these other books that I've read have just like really laid down groundwork Mm -hmm. for really unhealthy things in my marriage, including abuse. So like, what are some of these, uh, maybe not remedies, but what are some of like, like the solutions that you see that, that, that need to start changing in our church culture to give some more equity here? Because clearly it's not equitable, right? There's, there's a real power dynamic that it's way off. Yep. I don't even know if it relates to purity culture. A lot of people have said that. I actually think this predates purity culture. And I think purity Hmm. culture grew out of what we were seeing because purity culture was really addressing singles and teens. Okay. And it was an extension of the way we talked about sex and marriage. Hmm, okay. But if you look at, like, we we looked at um, the 10 best-selling marriage books and then six iconic sex books, some of which were from the 70s and 80s that are still selling. I don't know why people still buy books that were written in the 70s and 80s, but intended for pleasure in active marriage still sell. I don't know why. Okay. Um, but, you know, Power of a Praying Wife was written before Purity Culture, and it still sells in huge numbers, and it has all the harmful or most of the harmful ideas as well. Hmm. So it, what, I think purity culture grew out of this way that we were already talking about sex hmm. for married people, and it just it it just extended it to singles as well. Um, hmm. okay. And it all, yeah. And and I think what we need to do is stop seeing sex as something which men need and women don't, and instead see sex as this holistic thing which is supposed to be mutual. So both people matter. It's about both people um, feeling known and feeling heard and experiencing pleasure. So it's mutual, it's pleasurable, and it's intimate. So it's not dehumanizing. It's not objectifying. It's not just about physical release, no matter what Emerson Egrich might say. Like this is about an, a real joining of two people in every way. And that's what sex is supposed to be. And when we understand that, then it's quite easy to see where certain advice is really wrong. So where do you think some of these advices have come from then? You know, because I mean, I, I think about reading, oh, what books have I read? I, I read for, for men only. I read, mm-hmm. and of course, I read for women only. Of course, duh. You're, of course, you read mm-hmm. both. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I, and I—it's been a long time, but I'm—I'm I'm trying to cycle back, and I'm thinking about it. A lot of the the books like that, you know, they at least on the surface seem seem to be—I'm using quotation marks here—grounded mm-hmm. in in the Bible mm-hmm. or in Scripture. So, you know, mm-hmm. what what is it that like causes these perspectives to come out, especially in church culture that that we're both seeing now are just incredibly harmful. Yeah. I mean, I don't even see how they're grounded in the Bible. Like Mm. everyone says they are, but I think my interpretation makes so much more sense when you look at the text. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. like, if you take for women only, for instance, this is, this is a pet peeve I have. Okay. So Shanti Felden wrote for women only and for men only, and she based them on surveys. She did a representative survey of a thousand people. And then she took just the married people and asked them certain questions. So she had roughly 480 people for a lot of her questions. Like it was under 500. Okay who answered each of her questions. So we're talking about a survey, a sample size. It's very small. Okay. okay? Yeah. You know, several hundred. And she asked men, would you rather feel alone and unloved mm. or inadequate and disrespected? Okay. Now, do you know what's, do you know what's wrong with asking a survey question like that? Alone and unloved or inadequate and disrespected? Tell me. It's, it's called a double barreled question. Okay. And the problem is that in each response, so you need to choose either alone and unloved right, or inadequate and disrespected. And so if they choose one, let's say that they choose alone and unloved, what are they reacting to? Are they reacting to the alone or are they reacting to the unloved? Right, right, right. Because they're not necessarily the same thing. Right, 
Okay. And she was told by the pilot study and by the expert she hired to do her survey that this was an, that this was a problematic question that didn't really measure what she wanted it to measure, Mm. but she used it anyway. Mm. She found that 72% of men would rather be alone and unloved than inadequate and disrespected. And she took this to mean that men prefer respect over love. Mm. Okay. Emerson Egrich used that survey to base his book, Love and Respect on. Mm. There's only one thing. They never asked women. Like the, they just assumed that same question. They never asked women. So they're like, well, if men would rather be this, then women obviously must be the opposite. The right. only evidence that Emerson Egrich gave in his book as to why women prefer love is the greeting card industry. What? Yes. Because there is a greeting card industry. Okay. Therefore, women prefer love. So this is the level of scholarly. I don't even know what the word is, but like, this is so pathetic. And, um, and an entire movement that men want respect, women want love was based on this one survey question by Shanti Felden of like 400 people, 400 men where they never asked women and they made a huge conclusion about that. Wow. And that book has sold like millions upon millions of copies, Hmm. like 4 million copies. And you know what else is really funny? Okay. In that same book, he says 85% of men stonewall in marriage. Okay. So that's when like you break down, you refuse to communicate, you put up a wall. Okay. Okay. 85% of men stonewall. And he bases this on John Gottman's research, who's very, who's a very, very respected researcher out of the Gottman Institute, University of Washington, really good guy. Okay. The only problem is that what John Gottman found is that 85% of stonewallers are male. Okay. So Egridge says 85% of men stonewall. Gottman finds 85% of men of stonewallers are male. If I tell you that 85% of murderers are male, that is not the same thing as saying that 85% of men are murderers. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. That's a pretty big error. He has been doing that same error for 20 years. It's in love and respect. It's in numerous blog posts. It was in a sermon that he did in 2019. No one ever calls these people out for basic scientific problems like really really basic stuff and so all we're asking is let's raise the bar in the christian church and let's look at actual research and let's not base stuff on just whatever we think today (laughs) (laughs) well that makes sense so what what were some of the i know that we kind of touched on the results of your study but like let's get a little more nitty-gritty now like like, like what were some of the questions that you asked and what were some of the findings that you found in regards to maybe things like you know stonewalling or whatever else when when it comes to to men and women okay so what we did was it was a threefold survey first of all Tell us all about your marital satisfaction. So okay. they had to rate that. Then they rated their sexual satisfaction. And we got like seriously up close and personal. Here, okay, okay, got it. And then and then we asked them, we, we had a whole bunch of evangelical teachings. And we said, were you ever taught this? And were you, did you ever believe it? And we asked it two different times. So before marriage and today, okay. are you taught it? Do you believe it? And where did you hear it from if you were taught it? Okay. And four of the big ones, I'll tell you just a couple of them that really impacted women. Um, one of them is the idea that all men struggle with lust. It's every man's battle. Mm. This is a big one that you hear in the book for women only. Um, 
Emerson Egridge had it in Love and Respect. Of course, it's it's in the book series, Every Man's Battle, yep. that all guys struggle with lust. And when women are taught that, their chances of arousal go down, their trust in their husbands go down, their rates of sexual pain go up, their marital satisfaction goes down. It's just all around a terrible message. Mm. And women are way more likely to say that their primary motivation for having sex is because they feel like they have to. Hmm. Okay. Okay. I'm tracking. So, yeah, well, well keep going because I'm, I'm kind of curious mm-hmm. here. So, so you have, so women are pretty much are saying like, because I've been taught that, that every man is in a struggle with lust. If I don't you know, mm-hmm. give him that, that, you know, sexual, whatever it is, release, right? Mm-hmm. He might mm-hmm. still struggle with lust or look at pornography or leave me or cheat on me. Therefore, that's a, right. a now, a, that is now a new primary factor for me to be motivated mm-hmm. to have sex. Is that kind of the idea behind right. it? Right. Yeah, because it takes sex from being this thing, which is supposed to be this intimate knowing, which is mutual. So it's about us together as a couple. And it turns it into something which is like, mm. I'm doing this under threat. Yeah. Because if I don't do this, something bad is going to happen. Right. He's going to lust. And that's highly correlated with our, with another finding, which is a woman should frequently have sex with her husband to prevent him from watching pornography. Mm. You know, so the problem with porn is actually women. Right. And focus on the family said this. We have, we have so many examples of, of different resources that have perpetrated this message. You know, focus on the family said in a, in a broadcast um, fall of 2019 that maybe the reason that so many men are watching porn is because they're not getting enough sex. And if women had sex more, they wouldn't watch so much porn. Um, Every Man's Battle said, told women, once he quits cold turkey, be like a merciful vial of methadone for him. Oh, goodness. Yes. Well, and I've also found, I, I think we talked about this, you know, last time we, we, we chatted, at least for me, porn lives in like a different category in my brain mm-hmm. than like, you know, mm-hmm. sex with my wife. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, it's yeah. um, to put it, I don't know maybe in a more like blunt way, like it's, it, it's a different like itch. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah. it's just different. And, and so the desire to watch porn doesn't matter how much sex I'm having with my wife, you know, in, in mm-hmm. that way, like it, it, it doesn't quench, like, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure if that makes like, like sense, but they just tend to live in my head, at least in like different categories. And they should, because porn and sex are not substitutes for one another. They're actually polar opposites. Mm, right. Right, because sex is supposed to be this intimate, mutual knowing of each other. It's an experience that you share together in order to know someone better and in order to share something with them. Porn says, "I want to use you for my own gratification." Right. So it's it's a using and it's a self focused thing. It's not an other focused thing. And and if anyone thinks that these are substitutes, it means they don't understand sex. Mm. It means that they have a pornographic view of sex. And I think it's hilarious that, or sad, however you want to put it, yeah. that the evangelical church is railing against porn, but meanwhile, their view of sex is the same as their view of porn. Wow. Which is that women are objects that men need to use in order to get their needs met. Right, and women should be good wives and submit and yeah. be that that methadone, <laughs> right? Like exactly. Wow, and yeah. so when you combine that, it, it's a pretty toxic combination. It is. I mean, Kevin Lehman even said, um, 
during your, your period is a difficult time for him, like for the husband. And so you should give him oral sex or a hand job so that he isn't tempted to watch porn. Wow. In she, in his book, sheet music. And he also said in another place that in, if you, if you have heavier periods than normal, or if you're not feeling your best, or if you're postpartum, you can give him a hand job when he's ready to climb the walls. Wow. So, Hey honey, just pushed out your baby, Right. <laughs> not sleeping. My right. milk is coming in, yep. but let me give you a hand job. Cause that's, that's what our priorities should be. Like, that's just really a problem. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, listen, everyone's experience is different, but when, when my wife had our son, like I wasn't really in the mood either, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, honey, you just birthed a child, you know, like it would be awkward to ask you to do this knowing that like, you're just not in that headspace, like on my yeah. end. But I've also had women message me on whenever we, we talk about this topic on like the Instagram who have said like, Hey, like my husband like wanted sex like a week after we had our baby. I'm just thinking yeah. like, wow, like that is to me just a very, it's hard mm-hmm. to, to fathom that, you know, I'm. I don't know. It just is what it is. But yeah, that, that, so essentially what your book seems to be doing is kind of picking apart a lot of these like myths really of like, Hey, here's how you mm-hmm. solve the male problem of, of an uncontrollable sex drive, which also is kind of dehumanizing to men too. Like somehow we're just, you know, our rock bottom is just, um, giving into our natural desires. We have no self-control, you know, like it's, it's impossible. Yeah. You know, there's, there's this funny, um, again, sad, I don't know what the word is, anecdote in the book, Every Man's Battle, where it talks about, you know, maybe you let a woman go first through the door and walk up the stairs so that you can look at her behind, you know, and you do that because you're lusting. Or maybe you um, drive to the gym parking lot in your rental car and look at the scantily clad women coming out of the gym and masturbate. And I'm like, you know, that's not a normal thing. No, like they're presenting it like it's normal and that's illegal and highly not normal. And if you feel the urge to masturbate in public to women in the gym, like it's an oddly specific anecdote, like in a rental car at a gym, like it's oddly specific. (laughs) And that's in the book. They mentioned that in the book. Yes. Oh, yes. And lots of other things, too. They masturbate a lot in cars in the book, like the authors. And I'm just like, I don't ever want to be in a room with any of those authors. I would not feel comfortable. Like, this is just weird. And I don't understand why (laughs) that book sold so many copies, because it really makes men look like monsters and men are not. Yeah. Yeah. Like, men are not monsters. Men are capable of treating women like whole people made in the image of God. Men are like, they even say, we find a reason for men's sin. We got there naturally simply by being male. Wow. Yeah. And in a companion book to every man's battle, every heart restored, they say men just don't naturally have that Christian view of sex. So it's like men are hardwired to objectify women and not be able to see sex as intimate. That's what they're claiming. And I don't know why men don't see that as hateful towards men. Right. Yeah. And very, yeah, very demeaning and just very much like, 
I'm more than just, you know, hormones and neurons firing off in my head, you know, yeah. like, like, wow, yeah. I, I, I still can't get over that, that very specific, you know, <laughs> example of, um, of masturbating to people walking to the gym in your car. I mean, listen, I've, I've, I've trekked yeah. through my teenage years. I've been the hormonal, hormonal 17 year old. Never thought about like just you know doing that in public. It was never a thought. <laughs> just weird. So how did that get in that book? Like, right. It's a weird thing. <laughs> it's a, yeah. That's a weird one. And like you said, that's prob that that has symptoms of like a different issue. That's that's very mm -hmm. problematic for so many reasons. But um, I, I do want to you know. So we have this book. You have the, these studies. What has the reception in Christendom been like? Because I, I, I follow you on Instagram, on Twitter. You know, I feel like a lot of, like, we're kind of in the same circles right now, the same, like, deconstruction circles. We're kind of looking for, like, you know, different perspectives on these things. And your book is, like, really good because it's so scientifically based. Like, there's so much data behind it. So, mm -hmm. but, like, in the bigger picture of Christendom, the evangelical machine, mm -hmm. what has the response mm -hmm. been like for this book? Counselors, I've had so many counselors tell me that they haven't found a Christian book on sex they could recommend until this one. And um, wow. a lot of pastors have told me that too. A lot of pastors have told me this is their go-to pre-marriage book wow. now because they can deconstruct. Um, all. So, so I have had a lot of pastors and counselors reach out to me, which is great. Um, what I've also heard is... Uh, that a number of the authors that we critique, and you know what, I understand this. I understand them being upset about it. I understand them liking mm. their work and and not particularly liking the fact that we have pulled it all apart. Like I get that, right? Um, but you know, Shanti Feldon, who wrote for for women only, put out a statement saying that I didn't go about this in a kingdom way because. I, I'm not even sure what she wanted because we did email her in August before the book was even out saying, Hey, these were our survey findings. We found that certain messages that are in your book are harmful. Do you want to say anything? And she said, no, that was fine. But now that the book is selling well and getting press, you know, she put out a statement saying we didn't do it in a kingdom way because we should have gone to her and had a dialogue or something. I'm not even sure why. But it's just such a typical way of shutting down criticism, saying you're not allowed to say anything bad in public. You need to go to someone individually. That's not what happened in the Bible. Like public teaching is debated in public. Hmm. Paul called out public teachers by name all the time. Jesus called out Pharisees in public. Like right. when something is taught in public, it's corrected in public. Yeah, and that 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 is just kind of like how how at least our world works, right? Like people write books rebutting other perspectives all the time. It's just kind of like yeah, how it goes, right? So yeah, that is interesting. And I just find it strange that in the evangelical world, we're never allowed to criticize anybody else because it's part of the evangelical machine, right? Everybody endorses each totally. other's books. We all get we all get invited to the conference i'll never be invited to a conference again <laughs> well not a christian one it's funny we're speaking at um some physiotherapy conferences because of our findings on um vaginismus and female sexual pain which is really interesting is but interesting. you know i can't i can't go to christian conferences um right because the authors have really really don't like us like emerson egrich um shanti felden and kevin lehman have all gotten together and tried to figure out a response and steve arterburn has been very angry at us who wrote every man's battle um, what if they like 
Shopping these days can be underwhelming, but at QVC, we believe those who love to shop deserve a living, breathing way to shop, where product descriptions are alive with demos by creators, chats with inventors, and hosts who know the most. From self-care and kitchenware to fashion trends and forever faves, at QVC, we bring life to products and products to life. Shop qvc.com podcast and use code QVC15podcast for $15 off $30 for new customers. This is shopping brought to life. Invited you like if they invited you to like a sit down like public talk, would you be open to that? I'm just curious. I'm not saying that that like they oh, would sure. be, but I feel like you know. Oh, sure. Why can't we dialogue, right? Like why why have this gatekeeping when it's like, hey, we should really discuss this and like let's do mm-hmm. it publicly and have like a more formal setting and you know, do a Zoom thing. That would be great. I, I as long as I, to tell you the honest truth, there are certain of them that I would not feel comfortable talking with mm. unless there was um, um, some sort of um. Like there are some of them that are bullies, mm, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and I don't I don't feel comfortable well, with that. That's a fair but point. like I would have no I would have no problem if there was some sort of a moderator. Yeah, you know? yeah. I'm just but kind yeah. of you know thinking mm-hmm. out loud a little bit. You know, like it is you 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 brought up a good point that it is a club, the evangelical machine, and that like once you're in, you're great until they cast you out. Right. Like I, mm-hmm. I think about even like the classic example of like someone like a Rob Bell who was real in. Yeah. And then he wrote he wrote yeah. the wrong book and then he was out. Yeah. Right. And that kind of happened to you, yeah. it seems like. Like you were in, you were making a living off of doing this, you were making all these you know, books and studies, then you you wrote the wrong book. And now it's like, yeah. sorry, you're on the out now. And Yeah, although I mean the book is selling really well and I really think like people love it people really love it mm. because it is really validating. It's really healing. It's, it's just kind of like, this is what everyone always thought. Mm. Like we, we shouldn't be telling women you're obligated to have sex whenever he wants it. We should be telling couples, Hey, sex is supposed to be something awesome and it isn't just for him. And we shouldn't have a 47 point orgasm gap. Right. Like, we should fi- like she's, you know, she's supposed to feel pleasure too. And so guys figure it out. Like that's not, that's not, it shouldn't be a controversial message. Mm. That's kind of something that everybody instinctively knows is right. And yet this isn't what we've been taught. And so Mm. it feels, it feels so revolutionary to say what really is quite normal. (laughs) Like, like when you've been taught such weird warped stuff, Mm. then normal seems revolutionary. Uh, Yeah. I, I, I wonder why, like, like you said, like why this circling of the wagons around things that are not normal. And then when findings come out that are more normal and they make sense, like, mm-hmm. yes, women should also feel pleasure and also have, a, yep. you know, having uh, uh, a, a very similar orgasm rate to men. Right. Yeah. Um, the church is like, nah, <laughs> you know, like yeah. too controversial. You're too out there. Like, do you think, I mean, I'm not asking you for like your scientific opinion. I'm asking for like your personal mm-hmm. just perspective. Do you think that's mm-hmm. like tied to patriarchy, just tied to like the male dominant culture that the evangelical mm-hmm. church lives in that has to protect men at like all costs and their leadership? Like, do you think there's a connection there? Definitely. And I think, I think that they... The only reason that I can see that the uh, that every man's battle got so popular is that it essentially excuses men's sin. Mm. Because even though the book says that men need to be pure and they need to fight lust, et cetera, et cetera, the way that men fight lust is by transferring their lust onto their wife. So they're still objectifying their wife. It's like instead of objectifying every woman in the world, I'm now just going to objectify my wife. Yes. And 
if you don't mind if I interrupt you here for a second, because you're kind of sparking some things in my head, I can think, I can remember before I was married, like having this perception of like, just wait till you're married. Like, don't worry. Like, it's going to solve the problem. And I remember listening to like speakers and pastors who would, you know, these are like middle aged men who are like, if my wife's in the shower, I got to really still resist, you know, like it's just so hard, like not to just objectify her. That, 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 that's what that person is doing. But they make yeah. it seem like, you know, once you're married, it's like a 24 7, like your version mm-hmm. of like a, pornographic sex fest pretty much I don't know how else to put it and it's like you know obviously when you hit marriage and you realize like of course there are always intense moments of of great sex and stuff like that but it's life like I'm not always in the mood she's not Mm -hmm. always in the mood and the first time I was not in the mood I thought I was broken because I was just under the impression that like I should always be I should always be the one to always accept and never say no yes and the first time I was like honey I'm kind of tired I'm like Holy shit, am I broken? Like, is this the end? Like, my libido's done. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think it's partly the urge to protect men's men's um right to sin sexually and then blame it on women. So, you know, she was a stumbling block, she wasn't dressed modestly enough. Um, you know, it's a way to control women if we can tell women that men sin is because they don't like in, in um, the Southern Baptist convention is happening oh, as yeah. we speak right mm-hmm. now. And yesterday, apparently they played a song modest is hottest uh, about a father writing to his daughter, but being modest. I don't know why a daughter would want a father would want his daughter to be hottest anyway, but whatever. Right. <laughs> but that whole idea of, you know, controlling women to excuse and to blame men's sin on them is, is problematic. So I think that's part of it. I think the other part, um, is that we just have not considered women's opinions. Like there's really, Mm. there's really two more issues. The first is if you look at most of these books, so we, we ended up looking at 13 Christian bestsellers, 10 marriage, six sex, but then three of the marriage didn't have enough to do with sex for us to analyze. So we only looked at seven. So we looked, we analyzed 13 books in total that met our criteria for our, for our inclusion in our study. And of the ones that were written by men, there were 10 written by men. Nine of them were written by men who are currently, or would be currently between the ages of 70 and 90. Some have since passed away. Wow. Only one was written by someone who's currently just around 60, I think. Okay. So the majority of our books are written by men of a certain age, mm-hmm. you know, boomers and above, Yeah, like older boomers and even the generation above. Right. Um, and the ones that are written by women largely echo what these men said mm. anyway. Right. Right. <laughs> but so, so there's definitely a certain demographic of who's written these books and women's perspectives was largely missing. So I think that's one, but the other issue, which I think is actually far more fundamental is that there is such a, a urge to protect the patriarchy in evangelicalism. And the only way to protect the patriarchy is to make it clear that men and women are essentially different mm. because if what men and women are not essentially different, then there really isn't a good reason to keep women from leadership. And so we have to stress that men and women are different in their very essence in every way. Mm. And when you look at the books that scored the worst on our 12 point rubric of healthy sexuality, it was all books 
books that were about gender essentialism. Hmm. So men want sex, women don't. Men are visual, women aren't. Men watch porn, women don't. Men have spontaneous libidos, women have responsive libidos. Well, no one actually said spontaneous and responsive because nobody else understands the science behind it, but they would say men have libidos and women don't. Right, right, right. (laughs) You know, and it's portrayed that way. Whereas we found a much more nuanced story Um, Well, okay. Here, let me back up for a minute. Go ahead. Um, My great grandfather was five foot six. Okay. My, his wife, my great grandmother was five foot 11 and a half. Okay. And they did not have scientists knocking on their door, trying to figure out why this is possible or how this is possible. Hmm. Because everybody knows that while men as a whole are taller than women as a whole, there are some women that are taller than some men. Right. And that is not that weird. Right, right. <laughs> we all understand that, yep. right? Mm-hmm. And and yet the way that we talk about marriage and gender and libido and sex, we forget <laughs> that there are such a thing as overlapping bell curves. And we think of it as men are always like this and women are always like this. Right. And that leads to so many issues with sex because we see it as fundamentally we're different as opposed to understanding that we all respond differently as individuals too. Like we found that in 58% of marriages, yes, he has the higher sex drive, but that's only 58%. That's not as high as I thought. Yeah, it's 58%. In 23%, it's shared. So it's like, nobody can really say who has the higher sex. Like if you're watching a Netflix show and then at the end of it, you start making out Mm. and then you have sex, like who initiated? Right. Right? Like- And if it just, if sex just tends to flow out of your relationship like that, how can you really tell who has the higher sex drive, right? Right, right. And then in 19% of marriages, she has the higher sex drive. Hmm. And yet our resources tend to talk about it as if it's always him. Hmm. And he's always going to want it. And so she has to provide it because that is a basic need that he has that she can never, ever, ever understand. Right. Hmm. You're you're dropping like truth bombs on me that I'm just trying to you know <laughs> take in. I'm sure the audience is like, huh? Like because again, I really the way I was always believed to believe it or taught to believe it was like it's like a ninety to to ten percent ratio. Like ninety percent of men have higher sex drives than like than women, you know. And it just mm-hmm. seems like like you said, it's also nuanced. Like you like your example of if you're on the couch making out, who initiated it? Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. If, if I'm thinking back, I'm like, it really depends. It depends on on yeah. it just depends on a whole host of things. Like, is the baby asleep? Yeah. That's a big factor, right? You know, like, yeah. like it just depends. So, um, so I mean, do you feel like there's kind of almost like a um like a target on your back now because you wrote this book and you're kind of, I mean, I feel like between you is a cruise a Kristen Dumez who wrote Jesus and John yeah. Wayne. And I think Allison yeah. Barr who wrote Beth the, Allison yeah, you know, between yeah. the, the, the three musketeers here, you know, I feel yeah. like you're really taking it to the patriarchy. Do you kind of yeah. feel like maybe there's uh, going to be some pushback coming your way pretty soon from like the, the, that, that machine? I think there will be. I also don't think it's going to do any good. Yeah. Because um, the nice thing that I always had was I'm Canadian, first of all. Oh. So I'm not even American. I'm Canadian. Um, I built my blog from scratch and my blog gets incredible traffic. Mm. 
probably one of the largest marriage blogs because I get so much Google traffic. So mm. I get, and, and so I don't need a gatekeeper. I've never, I've never had a gatekeeper. I've always been able to talk to people directly. Right. And my social media is quite big. Most other authors are only known because they're at conferences and then people hear them speak, they buy their books and they get big because other pastors recommend them. Whereas I've always gone directly to people. Hmm. And so even if all these big names don't like me, I was never invited to the big conferences to begin with. Right. I had a, I had the best selling Christian sex book for women, but I was never invited to any big conferences even before this. Right. Um, so I don't, I don't really know if it's actually going to affect me. And I think that, that the Christian evangelical complex is losing so much of its yes. power and platform right now. Yes. Um, it absolutely and, is. Especially if yeah. you see like even the recent like SBC stuff, you know, this, this past convention has been mm-hmm. a train wreck for them yeah. for so many reasons. Yeah. And they're the largest denomination yeah. in the U S. So I, I agree. They're definitely losing, losing traction. And I think, and and honestly, so many pastors, there are a lot of good pastors out there. And I've spoken to so many of them who really just want healthy stuff. And there's this big awareness. Like what we're doing with our research too is we're working on a lot of peer review papers. We've we've partnered with... some different university professors, uh, Andrew Whitehead out of what used to be Purdue University. I think it's now Indiana mm. University. Um, we've got a pelvic floor physiotherapist um, out of a university. And so we're working on all these different peer-reviewed papers because we want to get our stuff in peer review so that we can, again, just raise the bar on what counts as social science research mm. because it's just been so badly done. Let me give you, okay, let me give you one of the saddest anecdotes okay. from the books that I read. Uh, to to show why we need to do this right and not just base our opinions, not just base our advice, marriage and sex advice on someone's opinion just because they're a pastor. Yeah. Because just because you're a pastor does not mean you know what you're talking about. Yep. And this was from Tim Keller's book, um, The Meaning of Marriage, which actually did not score that badly on our rubric. It scored in the neutral category. Most books scored in the harmful. This was only neutral. Okay. So it wasn't terrible. Okay. Okay. But he had this story where he said when they were first married, sex was difficult. And if he asked her afterwards, how was it? And Kathy said it just hurt. He would feel devastated. And so would she. And so they realized that aiming for her orgasm was adding too much stress. And so instead of concentrating on what they could get out of intercourse and sex, they decided just to concentrate on what they could give. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, okay, so first of all, they're not communicating during intercourse because he's only asking her after the fact, how was it? And she's only telling her, telling him after the fact that it hurts. Right. He made no mention of vaginismus or sexual pain, which Christian women experience at at least twice the rate of the general population. We found, we found a rate of 22% of women experience it. 7% 7% to the point the penetration is impossible, wow. which again is much higher than general population. Pelvic floor physiotherapists will tell you that most of their clients are religious conservative women, largely Christian. Um, and it's because of the obligation sex message that you are obligated to give your husband sex. That's, that's a big part of it. Mm. Not the only part, but it's a big part of it. So they're not communicating during sex. And then they decide that her orgasm isn't a good idea worth going for. Um, and they should look at just what they can give, not what they can get. But if she's not orgasming, what exactly is he giving? 
Right. Right. What you is know? he giving? <laughs> and right. that advice is not necessarily bad advice for a couple where she reaches orgasm, let's say 60 to 65% of the time. But, you know, sometimes she just knows she's not going to, she doesn't want to let him down. She feels a whole lot of guilt. And it's like, you know what, in those situations, let's just concentrate on giving a gift and that's fine. Right. But what if the couple reading this, he's never done foreplay. Yep. He's never bothered to figure her body out. Yep. And he just figures she's broken because she doesn't like intercourse. He is now totally off the hook because he's he's reading, see, it's too stressful to work for your orgasm. Right. Right. And that's just terrible advice for so many different couples in different situations. So that may have worked for them, but right. it's terrible advice to give in a book. And yet yeah. this is the level of advice that we're giving in evangelical books because people are not basing it on data. They're basing it on this is my experience because that's all they have to go on. And just because you're a pastor does not mean you have anything worthwhile to say about sex. I think you're really on the money there. Plus, I mean, there are other ways to stimulate to bring to orgasm besides yeah. just penetration. Like there's a lot of them. There's a yeah. whole industry that will help you make that happen. <laughs> well, you know, and of the women who regularly reach orgasm, which is only like 48%, but of those women, 39% can reach orgasm through intercourse, but the rest can't. Right. So it's like, if we're focusing on intercourse as our main thing, we're missing out on pleasure for women anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're totally correct. That, that That's a, a, it's a great point and it, it needs to be, I don't know. I, like you said, you, your example of there's that story. Now this guy in who knows where reads it and goes, here's the proof I need that like, you know, working towards her orgasm is just too much stress or too much work. And that's the cop out. That's just not good enough, you know? And honestly, right. if I'm going to speak transparently and I, for me, it's hard to fathom that. Like, I'm just not, it's just me. I'm just not wired that way. Like my wife and I, I just have to like, we have to communicate, you know, before, during, after. And we always have talked and been open about like, how is it for you? How was it for me? Like, what did you like? What mm -hmm. didn't you like? And I think for the couple, I'm realizing that's more of like a not common situation. So I'm grateful mm -hmm. for that communication for sure. But now mm -hmm. I want to help like, you know, men be like, dude, you need to be asking these questions and be a little more thoughtful than just you having an orgasm. Like there's more yeah. to it than that, especially because it's easy for most, most men to orgasm, you know, fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so you don't have to worry about that. That kind of takes care of itself. <laughs> you know, yes, like, exactly. like we, we, we can enjoy a lot of other parts of this. So I appreciate your insight on this. So, you know, one of my kind of, as we're starting to land the plane a little bit. So, um, you know, you, I've been following you on Instagram. I followed you um, on Twitter, all, all that good stuff. I noticed that you did have a beef with someone. Or I should, I should, I, hold on. I want to walk that back. They had a beef with you. Okay. That's, yes. I think, a more accurate way of putting it. And I want to talk a little bit about this, if you, if, if you don't mind, because I never heard of Mark Gunger before. I know he's apparently mm -hmm. ginormo. He's like a huge, uh, I guess, marriage mm -hmm. pastor dude. I never heard of him until maybe a couple months ago, and I saw all this stuff. But I, if you don't mind, I'd like to hear what actually happened with you and him because I saw what he said, and I'm like, this guy, how is this guy this popular? This is, like, incredibly yeah. misogynistic and just rude and yeah. mean. Like, And he gets away with it. Like, there's yeah, – how? So yeah. if you don't mind, I would, I would like to hear, like, what the heck is going on with this dude? 
Yeah. So Mark Gunger is a pastor. That's important to say. He is a pastor at a very large church in Wisconsin. Um, he is also a big marriage speaker and he does a lot of marriage conferences in the military and he has for over like for, for, I don't know, two decades or whatever. Um, and he has a very popular marriage curriculum. You can find it on YouTube, uh, tale of two brains or laugh your way to a better marriage. Those are the trademarks that he tends to go with. And a, a bunch of people sent me this link to a Facebook post that he had done where he was talking about, he had a whole series where he was talking about different grounds for separation. And it was actually decent. Like mm. I didn't disagree. Like it was actually decent stuff. But he got to this one post where he said, um, sexless marriages are ground for se- grounds for separation. If your spouse won't give you sex, you can separate. Mm. And I wrote a comment on the Facebook post. And I said that it was way more nuanced than that because marriages don't just turn sexless for no reason. And what we found in our survey of 20,000 women is that um, when a marriage turns sexless, there are usually in 78% of cases, at least two of the following things are present, okay? Um, His porn use, male sexual dysfunction, um, her sexual pain, she never reaches orgasm or they feel emotionally disconnected during sex. So you have at least two of those things. So it's not like they have this great sex life and this great marriage. And then one day she ups and decides not to have sex. Right. It's that these are the things that are going on. And so I said, sexlessness is a symptom of the issue. It's not the issue itself. Mm-hmm. And you need to identify what the issue is. And he got so angry and he started um, and his followers started making fun of me and saying weird things. And he piled on Mm. and then, and he started blocking anyone who defended me. And then he started calling me names. He called me psychotic and disgusting. And he said, sat, someone said, is she real or is she just a troll? And he said, sadly, she's real. Um, someone else made a joke about, well, he had called me the patron saint of sexually unfulfilled women, um, (laughs) which I have turned that into my Twitter bio because I love that. Nice. Um, (laughs) You you, you can sell sell some merch, sell a t-shirt with that on there. I know, I think you And then someone said, maybe I'm unfulfilled uh, because nobody will touch me with a 10 foot pole, which is obviously a sexual innuendo. Mm. And, and then she said, but maybe that's going too far and stepping over the line. And he said, Oh no, it's not over the line. It's very, very called for. So he's participating in this against uh. me. And then he gets on Twitter and he starts like, I, I kept saying, Mark, can I just share with you our findings from our survey? And, and he just kept saying, insulting things. And it was just crazy. Like it was like watching someone self-destruct. Like it was almost funny, you know, like it wasn't, it's like in in the age of social media, you don't act like this. This is acting like it's. Well, I I think it's kind of, it's kind of, it almost sounds like it's, it's unfortunate proving my point of like, you know, so do you think you're going to get pushback from like the evangelical patriarchal machine and mm-hmm. like, well, here we go. <laughs> you know, like like you say yeah. the wrong comment at the wrong time or the right comment at the wrong time, whatever it is, people pounce on you. He chimes in and it's like, what the heck? Like this is just un it's so over it's so over the top. Um, going yeah. that far down a hole of like you just posing the 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 question or reality of maybe that mm-hmm. is a more nuanced, you know, thing than just I'm not having sex anymore. I'm I, I'm I'm gonna leave this marriage. And maybe maybe there's more right. to it. And it, it's yeah. just really a shame. 
Yeah. So then we took a look, look, I mean, I didn't criticize him for our book. He didn't meet our selection criteria. So we didn't even look at his stuff. So then we started actually looking at it. Uh. And he actually said that the only reason men have anything to do with women is sex. And he said, ladies, if we wanted a companionship, we'd gotten a golden retriever. Huh? And so he said, he said, if it weren't for sex, we wouldn't have anything to do with y'all. And so the way, the way to get a man, a man's heart is to give him sex. Like it was a very transactional model of sex and nothing about real intimacy. And it was, it was really problematic and very insulting to men again. Uh, Yeah. So where do you, where do you want to go from here? Like, what is your, your, you know, if I could say, listen, Sheila, like what's your vision for like the future of, Mm -hmm. of, of, sex and the church and Christianity, where do you want to see like happen? Where do, where do you want to see change? Well, okay. Three things. <laughs> First, okay. I really hope, and this is what's happening actually, is people are reading the great sex rescue. They're feeling validated. They're feeling heard. They're getting a lot of healing. Yep. I've talked to, I've heard from so many women. I finally had an orgasm or like, like if sex finally doesn't hurt, you know, cause we were able to let go of some of this stuff. So I'm like, yay for orgasms. That's wonderful. Wonderful. Um, so, you know, on an individual level, I think that a lot of, a lot of people are really getting healing and that's great. Then on a more corporate level or church wide level or whatever you want to say, evangelical culture level. Number number two, I guess, would be, I really want people to start valuing data. Hmm. And I want to make it impossible for someone to write a book just based on their opinion when it's something like sex and marriage. We should have to do research or we should rely on peer-reviewed research. Yeah. It shouldn't be enough like just because you have a pastor, an MDiv after your name. And seriously, right. peer-reviewed research. When right. The 13 books that we looked at, I, I analyzed all their footnotes, 11 yeah. peer-reviewed citations. Wow. Not 11 per book, 11 in all of the 13. Oh, my goodness. Wow. They just don't rely on research and what they wow. say is wrong. And that's, that needs to stop. And then the third would be, I just really am hoping that we, that, that we change the conversation around sex so that people are re- remember mutual, intimate, pleasurable, and, and that it's not just for men. And cause I think if we do that, then people will stop recommending these harmful books. And so I'm hoping mm. that our book helps alert people to what resources are actually harmful and that we start asking the question, is this book harmful or helpful? Cause there's this idea that all Christian books say the same thing. Well, they don't. Boundaries in marriage is fundamentally opposite of love and respect. So if you like the book Boundaries in Marriage and you like the book Love and Respect, you have right. no discernment. Right. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but you haven't thought really carefully about what you're reading because they, mm. they are diametrically opposed. And so mm. just because a book is Christian does not mean it says the same thing. Right. And I'm hoping that we get a lot more discernment in the church and we're able to identify when something is, is harmful because there are a lot of our bestsellers and really our bestsellers are the most harmful. You know, love and respect for women only, sheet music, every man's battle, um, active marriage. Those are highly harmful resources. And I hope that we stop recommending and selling them. Okay. So my last question is, what can men do to be better participants in the solution to like everything we just talked about, especially with your findings in these studies, right? Like I, I think about myself and about maybe you know our audience who are men listening to this, just like, Wow. Never thought about this way. Never realized how deep this stuff goes. How can men be better? 
One of the things that came out of our focus groups. So after we did the survey, we did a lot of focus groups with some women just to try to flesh out some of their findings. Yeah. And again and again and again, and the women who had had trouble with sex, but we're now better and really enjoying it. What they told us was that the really bad messages they got about sex, they didn't get from their husbands. Primarily they got them from these resources and these books and their husbands hadn't even known that this is what their wives believed. Mm. And I think that's why it's really important for men to put themselves in women's shoes and start hearing some of these messages. Yeah, because I don't think men understand what women are being taught because women are taught it in women's Bible studies. We're taught it on women's retreats. It's not necessarily taught from the pulpit. And women read, I think, 76 percent of nonfiction books are read by women and of marriage books. It's probably even higher. So Mm. it's women who are reading these messages. It's not necessarily men. You know, so I I would challenge men, if you're one of the ones who really believes that you're owed sex or in the obligation sex message, then give your head a shake and and realize that that's not okay. It's not okay to coerce your wife. It's not like if sex is not intimate, if it's not about both of you, there's a problem. And the way to solve the frequency problem, if you want sex more than you're currently having it, isn't to pressure her to have more sex. It's to figure out why she doesn't want it as much and and unlock her sexuality. And and the way to do that is often to figure out what are the harmful teachings she's been taught and how can we Mm. deconstruct them? But But for most guys, it's not necessarily they believe this stuff. Most men hate the idea of duty sex. They hate the idea of her giving him sex simply because she she has to. I hate it. (laughs) If if my wife told me, well, I'm not in the mood, but if you want it, I'll give it to you. I'm like, I'm fine. (laughs) I'm I'm okay. (laughs) And most guys are like that. Most guys are decent guys. So I don't know why all these authors are pushing it. I really don't get it. But, Hmm. but. Um, you know, most guys don't want this. And so they, but they, they need to understand where women hurt it. Cause a lot of guys are like, I don't want duty sex, but that's all she gives me because that's how she sees sex. Mm. And rather than get mad at her for that, understand yeah. why and enter into that conversation yeah. and then prove to her that you don't, that you can live without sex, that you don't want obligation sex and prove that to her. Like one husband told his wife, if we're in the middle of something, like even if we're right in the middle and you change your mind, I want you to tell me and we will stop. Right. And he proved that to her over a period of months. And that's how she regained her sexuality and became orgasmic Mm. again Mm. because he proved it to her. So I think there's a lot of really harmful stuff that women have internalized. And I think men can be our biggest allies and our biggest healers in helping us get over those things. Mm. Well, on that note, Sheila, it was honestly great having you on. Great, you know, we covered such a wide variety of topics. And I, I love that. I mean, that that's intentional on my end. I like trying to go for the shotgun approach. You know, um, yeah. where where can people find you? Where where can they find your book? You know, plug all of your channels away. Yeah, so it's The Great Sex Rescue is the book. My blog is to love, honor, and vacuum.com. You can find our podcast there, um, Bear Marriage Podcast, but there's links to our podcast. There's links to all my books. There's links to our orgasm course if you look under courses. Um, we also have a puberty course if you want to talk to your kids about puberty and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So, yeah, and right. sex, lots of fun things like that. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, Sheila, truly great having you on. Thanks for making the time. Thank you. All right.
That's the sound of me prepping the grill with Reynolds Wrap. And the sound of me not doing dishes. And the sound of me spending more time outside with my family. Easy prep, cook, and clean. Make time with Reynolds Wrap. I like the sound of that.